Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 163. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Want to know how to successfully resist the evil machinations of a corrupt prelate? Jason Bolte is this week's guest to tell us about resistance in the Rome of the West. The Mafia has an interesting and logical hierarchy. At the top of the food chain is the boss of the bosses. Then there's the territorial bosses. Next are the capos. Finally, you have the soldiers. The Sicilian Mafia is all but gone in America, but we have another kind of Mafia-like criminal organization. It's called the Lavender Mafia, and it has overwhelmingly infiltrated the USCCB. Because Chicago is the primatial sea in America, Cardinal Blaise Supich is the boss of the bosses. The territorial bosses are his fellow bishops who belong to the Lavender Mafia. Their capos are the diocesan chancellors and vicars. 
The foot soldiers are all those priests who agree with the criminal bishops, or they're too cowardly to courageously oppose the heresies and sins of the Lavender Mafia bishops. The Sicilian Mafia made all its ill-gotten wealth through strong-arming, lying, cheating, and stealing. The Lavender Mafia is no different, except they wear ecclesiastical robes that give them the appearance of legitimacy. Make no mistake, the Lavender Mafia is every bit as evil as the Sicilian Mafia. Through the Catholic Campaign for Human Development, they promote abortion, socialism, defunding the police, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, contraception, and illegal immigration. Worst of all, they do it with your money. They lie to you in never-ending appeals and strong-arm the money through parish taxes of the money you give the parish. They depend on your money. Well, you can fight back. Until our bishops begin doing as they ought, we shouldn't give them a dime. So I invite you to download Catholic Bogus Bucks. Catholic Bogus Bucks are intended to send a clear message to these criminal mafia-like bishops. They're great for wayward parish priests as well. Best of all, they're free to anyone who wants them. Try them out. This Sunday at collection time, assuming you're not happy with your parish priest, you know, the criminals who just haven't been promoted to bishop yet, drop a Catholic bogus buck in the collection basket rather than your hard-earned money. Message received. And the next time your bishop sends an envelope, he's demanding that you fill with your hard-earned money to finance his criminal activity, fill it with Catholic bogus bucks instead. Catholic Bogus Bucks are easy to use. All you have to do is download the bucks and print all of them you want. They're free. Let me say that again. They're free. To get your Bogus Bucks, go to cantankerouscatholic.com slash evil dash bishops. Archbishop Mitchell Rosansky is the ordinary of St. Louis, a see with the nickname of Rome of the West. St. Louis had a good run as one of the best Catholic dioceses in the nation under men like my friend John Cardinal Carberry. Then disaster came with the Cardinal's replacement, Archbishop John May. When Archbishop May came to St. Louis, he began to systematically dismantle the archdiocese. St. Louis was the home to the Knights of Columbus headquarters and numerous religious motherhouses and lay initiatives. By the time he died, the Knights of Columbus had moved to Connecticut and most of the motherhouses and lay initiatives had been driven out of the Rome of the West by this corrupt man. Things began to look up for St. Louis when May's successor, Archbishop Justin Regali, came into power by appointment of St. John Paul II he began to try to rebuild what May had destroyed. At the end of his tenure as Archbishop, Regali was placed with Archbishop Burke, now known and loved by all faithful Catholics as Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke. The Archdiocese of St. Louis actually grew under Archbishop Burke, but then Pope Benedict elevated him to the College of Cardinals and moved him to Rome. Burke was replaced with Archbishop Robert Carlson. While he was an outspoken advocate for the pre-born and on family issues, Archbishop Carlson pretty much just tried to maintain the status quo in St. Louis. 
Then came Carlson's replacement. Our Marxist Pope Francis sent us Bishop Rosansky from Springfield, Massachusetts. As soon as I heard of this appointment, I immediately began researching him. Although praying for the contrary, I knew that the Rome of the West would suffer under Rosansky. In the less than two years he's been here, every move by Rosansky has had devastating consequences for this once great sea. Because of Rosansky's record in Massachusetts and his actions thus far in St. Louis, it's no surprise that faithful Catholics have begun to stand up and fight. One of the leaders of this fight is a man named Jason Bolte, a common man, a Joe Sixpack, if you will. Today we're going to hear from Jason so you can see what resistance by the laity looks like. This interview was done through an internet interview platform from my desk to Jason's home. Through most of the interview, you'll hear children in the background playing. I'd ordinarily edit that out of the background, but decided instead to leave this distraction there, a joyous distraction we hear less and less these days. Now let's listen to Jason. Six-Pack Warriors, Jason Bolte is the leader of Church Militant's Resistance Chapter here in my own Archdiocese of St. Louis. Like many committed Catholics today, he woke up to the realization that he really didn't know the faith and that it was because the bishops have cheated the faithful out of Catholic truth for decades. Now he's doing something about it, and that's what we're going to talk about this week. Jason, welcome to the Cantankerous Catholic. How are you today? Fantastic, Joe. How are you? Oh, I'm just as happy as a tornado in a trailer park. (laughs) (laughs) Great analogy, I tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they do get happy when they find a trailer park. They just tear it all to pieces. (laughs) Jason, let's dig right in. Now, you're the leader of the resistance chapter here, and we want to get to that in a moment. But first, I want to talk about Archbishop Rosansky's All Things New Initiative. I understand that you're leading the fight against that initiative. Tell us about All Things New and why you're leading St. Louis Catholics in the fight against it. Yeah, All Things New is a uh, initiative to consolidate and close uh, at least 50%, if not higher, great, uh, percentage of parishes in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Um, I went to the pastoral conference back in October uh, that basically laid out uh, the plan for all things new and what it was going to look like. And as a result of that, we have started uh, Save Rome of the West. Uh, it's a website that um, basically puts it all in uh, bite-sized chunks for people to be able to see exactly what was presented to everybody there and to give them strategies uh, to combat this. So we uh, have just got quite a bit of content. In fact, we have the entire conference up on the website already, and there's more content to come. Whenever I first looked into all things new, Archbishop Rosansky keeps talking about uh, evangelizing, sharing the faith, making the church grow. And I have yet to figure out how you can possibly close and consolidate parishes, steal the identity of the neighborhoods, steal the money from these people, which is what he did in Springfield, Massachusetts, and actually grow the church. Yeah. Grow souls, reach new souls. Have you figured that out? 
I haven't quite understood that process. Um, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, even, you know, when you look at Springfield, um, one of the things that he did to just show, uh, Flex's muscle, if you will, uh, was he had a church bulldoze right around Christmas time. Um, and there's a video that will be being put up on that website as well, um, pertaining to that. Um, I know of, um, a few people from that diocese that have moved here that transplanted um, and were scared are scared to death about what he's going to do and feel like, frankly, they can't do anything about it. That, you know, doesn't matter what fight we put forward, he's going to just, you know, do what he's going to do. And there's not a whole lot we can do about it. And unfortunately, I don't like that mentality because, you know, I would much rather fight and lose than no fight at all. And absolutely, that's, you know, what needs to happen is they they need to understand that they can't just walk all over us and do whatever it is they're going to do no matter uh what we say um so I, I, that's one of the biggest reasons why i decided to get this fight going um here locally is to bring awareness to everything that's going to happen i mean because every single parish in the diocese of st louis is going to be touched every single yes, one every one i've got I can't remember. It's either seven or nine parishes in this deanery. Mm-hmm. I expect it to be three when it's over. Well, they were bragging about how they took five rural parishes in um, Pennsylvania and turned them into one parish. And, you know, say you had a, a St. Catherine, a St. Mary's, a St. Joseph or, or whatever. You take them and now you have St. Paul and not a single one of them keeps their identity. So they they find like a central location, you know, make a whole new, build a whole new church and, you know, bring everybody to this new church and think it's going to be all bright and vibrant and, you know, whatnot. And I I don't see it. I I think it's going to really drive more uh, Catholics away from the faith. And we're already seeing them exit in droves and they're not addressing the the real issue at hand. You know, the the pervasion that that exists and the corruption that exists that needs to be taken care of and and fixed. You know, there's a lot of a lot of repenting that needs to happen um, and not only repentance, but um Oh gosh, I'm at a loss for words. When when we when we go to confession, the the um we get absolution, and then we have a um who goes anymore? Well, <laughs> I do. Um, you know, I think it's important that we do do that. Um, from from the grace standpoint, but you know, when we make the restitution, that's it, restitution. That's the word I was looking for. Um, restitution reparation, for reparation, yeah. yeah, for for the things that they have done. You know, because we all screw up, and I don't care if you're a priest or a bishop, a cardinal, you are still a sinner. Period, and you still are going to make mistakes. And you still have to make men amends for the mistakes that you've made. And, you know, taking our, our sacred space and, and selling it, that's not going to fix anything. That's not going to, that's only going to make the problem worse. Truly, it's going to make the problem worse. And, you know, to truly evangelize, it's how we live our lives and how we treat others. That's, that's where the evangelization, evangelization comes into play. So, sure. Uh, Jason, let's get to resistance. Mm-hmm. What are the goals of the St. Louis chapter and what do you hope to accomplish? So the goals of the St. Louis resistance is to bring awareness uh, to the issues that uh, that are facing our archdiocese and um, to try and uh, engage a conversation um, with the higher ups to uh, try and, you know, bring about the reparations that need to happen um, so that, you know, we can have a much more 
more vibrant and uh, better community. You know, we we want to renew the faith in the in this uh, archdiocese and truly bring about change. And you know, we do it through prayer rallies. We do it through prayer itself. I mean, I one of the things that I stress as uh, leader of the resistance here is a uh, good daily spiritual life. You know, making sure that you get a daily right. mass and rosary and you know regular confession because these pieces are very important and integral in um, solving this problem because without God's help, we're not going anywhere. We're just yeah, spinning our wheels. Uh, any sort of militancy without the spiritual aspect is a waste of time. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, like you know, I mean, you've got church militant, you've got church triumphant, and you've got uh, church suffering. And, you know, we here on earth are church militant. And that's truly where that term comes from is, you know, and, and what our, our role is here. And it's to bring awareness to that role. And, you know, it's not only just, you know, working the beads, but it's also making sure that we're getting out there and doing the action that's needed uh, to bring awareness. Because, you know, uh, people are busy. People don't have time to necessarily do the research that we do uh, to make sure that they're aware of all of the things that are going on um, in the diocese. You know, one of the things that we we were very uh, successful ha- so far, have been fairly, fairly successful in doing is uh, these uh, jab clinics that have been being set up on parish grounds. We've we've been able to successfully shut down a few of them uh, through our efforts. Uh, through our awareness, um, you know, we didn't, we don't always, it's not like a hundred percent success, you know, track record, but even on those where we didn't shut them down, we brought such an awareness to the issue, uh, that it kind of grew the resistance in, in many regards because people were like, oh, there are people out there that are fighting. There are people that, you know, feel the same way that I do, um, and so we can kind of band together. And so that's, you know, for me, like the bigger, bigger picture is bringing unity, you know, let's let's reunite Catholics. Let's get them back together and and get things back where they need to be. Right. There's a resistance boot camp on the 25th of this month in Tampa, Florida. Uh, I have two questions here. Have you been to one of the boot camps yet? And do you recommend them? I mean, obviously, this particular boot camp is for resistance members in Tampa. But both Michael Voris and Joe Gallagher tell me they are really for everyone. So do you recommend that members of the resistance movement or those who are considering joining go to this event? Absolutely. I um, actually went to the boot camp last year that was held, I believe, in Detroit, I'm wanting to say. Um, I I was traveling so much last year with different things with the resistance. It's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly where everything was. But, uh, yeah, it was a really good conference. Um, They they really kind of outline how you can build the resistance um, and just different uh, pieces that you may not be aware of. Um, do I feel like you need to do it multiple times? I mean, if you need a refresher, go for it. I don't see where it would be a problem. I mean, personally, I'm not going to be able to make the, the Tampa one, but I know plenty that are thinking about making that travel uh, down there. I mean, heck, you're talking sunny Florida. Why not? <laughs> take, a little, <laughs> take a little breather and, and, you know, get to understand uh, what the resistance is about. So uh, they, they are 
well put together. They have really good speakers. Um, I know that Jesse Romero is is usually involved with it. Father Altman's been there. Um, you know, they, they always have a, a good lineup of, of folks. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I have a uh, my son's uh, brother-in-law is actually one of the cameramen for um for the resistance. So I I get to hang out with him every now and again. And and so it's, (laughs) you know, it's kind of funny how I have that tie. I didn't even realize it until after I was involved in the resistance that he was actually uh, one of their cameramen. So that's really, yeah. Yeah. Let's get back to St. Louis for a moment. Sure. Um, I'm homebound and in a wheelchair. So I do my fighting through this podcast and the things I write, but being stuck at home doesn't mean I'm not involved in my own diocese. So when it was announced that Archbishop Rosansky was coming here from Springfield, Massachusetts, I began looking into his background. I concluded that the Rome of the West was going to be in a lot of trouble. I know a lot of things that most St. Louis Catholics don't know about him. While we respect his office as bishop here, should he be fought at every turn, you know, as uh, we respect the office of bishop, we just don't necessarily have respect for him. So should he be fought at every turn? Well, absolutely. I mean, the thing is that he has a, a track record of just flexing his muscle, if you will, and doesn't do utilize kind of even here already here in St. Louis. He's already um, got a uh, chapel on the market for sale without issuing any canonical decrees, which that's the first step in uh, wanting to sell these properties. Now, there are certain uh, stipulations that uh, surround being able to sell a church, you know, that have to be met, which, you know, eventually we'll have up on the website. We haven't gotten to that point yet. But those have to be met first, and he will even forego those and just go ahead and move forward with whatever plan he has. And it wasn't just Springfield that he has done this in. It's every diocese he's been in. And the CLI organization that he's hired, I'm pretty sure he's used in every, you know, and they, and they keep, they, 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 they're not doing anything new. They're, they're rebranding the exact same program and protocol, you know, whether it was called all things new or we make it new or whatever, it's always the same you know, terminology that they utilize. I mean, to to take a, a church, uh, a very historic church um, in Massachusetts and bulldoze it near Christmas Eve, you know, just to show um, that, you know, he can do it just because he can, uh, that says a lot. That says, that, yes, you know, that does. he does not, you know, necessarily want to listen to, uh, but he needs he needs to understand that he's not going to just allow uh, be, be allowed to do things without any type of pushback or, or whatnot. And so, I mean, I think we need to do it in such a way that he is receptive to um, the other points of view. And right now I don't feel like he is because they keep talking about, Oh, we're going to have these listening sessions, right? Well, I I feel like these listening sessions are going to go in one ear and right out the other because they've already made up their minds. Absolutely. It's just a smoke screen. This man has already decided what properties, uh, I'm sorry, what parishes are going to be closed Mm -hmm. and what he's going to do. He's just, he's just going to pocket the money in the archdiocese he's not even going to uh uh follow canon law and let that money follow the parishioners to a consolidated parish 
Well, and you know, it's funny because I, you know, they talk about every person having their voice heard and every person being able to sit on these listening sessions. I went to my uh, local parish to see, hey, well, you know, maybe I could get involved with that side of it. And I'm already blacklisted. I can't even be a part of that. <laughs> so it's like, okay. Um, yeah, so I'm still going to, it doesn't ch- stop me from, you know, doing what I'm going to do. But, you know, it just, it's just, it's funny that they've already taken taken those measures on the on even my local parish level to try and block me from being able to have any type of influence when the reality is is especially on my own parish level um you know i already have some of that influence and and people are paying attention to you know what what's going on and and what i'm doing so and it's not just me i mean there's you know i i can't take any of the credit without you know giving credit to all of the people that are already involved and and are constantly uh showing up to our rallies and and i know that you know you've got like yourself who sits at you know is homebound i've got quite a few resistance members like yourself that are you know literally fighting the battle on that home front and you know just because you're at home doesn't mean you're not active and not doing something to make it make a difference you know because the power of prayer is is unreal and and i felt it especially more recently than 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 lately so i i would encourage anybody no matter what level of activity you can do you know, get involved with us because we can we can certainly bring about the change that needs to happen, bring about the repentance, bring about the restitution. So, Amen. You know, about 200 of the six-pack warriors are in this archdiocese, and nearly all the six-pack warriors are interested in taking back our beloved faith from the hands of these evil men. After all, all we want is to be shepherded the way Jesus intended the successors of the apostles to do. Absolutely. Uh, What's the best advice you can give the six-pack warriors, and how can they reach you with further questions? Um, so the best advice I can give is, you know, to reach out to us here locally. Um, we have, we meet every, uh, first Tuesday of the month. Um, right now our main hangout is Bob Evans and St. Charles, um, is where we meet, have our meetings and, um, they've been very good about accommodating us. And then we also have, uh, an email address, which is kind of long, so I may be, <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, cmresistancestl at gmail.com. Um, they can just shoot me any, a message and, and I can keep them in the loop. We also have a uh, telegram group that um, is more up to the minute on the things that we're doing. Um, so like if we have a, a prayer rally, say this weekend, um, it's going to be popped in there. And I try to shoot an email out as well to make everyone aware so that even, you know, our homebound uh, warriors can be praying for us and with us um, at the time of the rally. Um, we, we try to have monthly prayer uh, rosary rallies um, on top of everything else that we do just to, you know, make sure that the Blessed Mother is interceding for us. So Great. And I will be posting uh, that information on my show notes for this episode. Uh, Jason, we really appreciate you being on the show today. Will you come back in the future and kind of update us about what's going on? Absolutely. You can have me on anytime you need me. All right, then. God love you, brother. We'll talk to you later. God bless you, Joe. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Be sure to look at my show notes to find Jason's contact information.
For those of you who wish to combat the mitered criminal in your diocese but aren't sure how, reach out to Jason for a chat. Jason and his team have been very successful at resisting Archbishop Rosansky. Help this apostolate while you help yourself. First, check out what I have for sale on cantankerouscatholic.com on the Joe's Stuff page. I have books, coffee mugs, and t-shirts. Your purchase helps this apostolate. On the episodes, blog, and about pages, there are Catholic Amazon items in the sidebar. I change those offerings every week now. When you click on those images, as long as you shop at Amazon after doing so, this apostolate gets a small commission on everything you buy. Please help this apostolate while you buy whatever you're going to buy anyway. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Fox News. John Durham, who serves as special counsel to the Department of Justice, reported last week that he found attorneys for the Hillary Clinton campaign paid a technology firm to infiltrate servers associated with Donald Trump both before and after his election as president in order to establish an inference and narrative tying Trump to Russia. President Trump said Durham's filing, quote, provides indisputable evidence that my campaign and presidency were spied on by operatives paid by the Hillary Clinton campaign in an effort to develop a completely fabricated connection to Russia, end quote. Woohoo! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number Four Hats Off to Fox News. Pretender Biden held a high-stakes, hour-long phone call with Russian leader Vladimir Putin last week. Biden pressed for a de-escalation of border tensions between Russia and Ukraine and warned of swift and severe costs for Russia if it invades. The call made little difference, according to the White House. There was no fundamental change in the dynamic that has been unfolding now for several weeks, said a senior administration official, adding that Russian military action in Ukraine is still a distinct possibility. Uh-oh, we're in big trouble now. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to the Washington Examiner. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said Sunday that Russia could invade Ukraine any day now. He also told CNN that Russian forces are in a position to invade Ukraine before February 20. And we are prepared to continue to work on diplomacy, added Sullivan, but we are also prepared to respond in a united and decisive way with our allies and partners should Russia proceed. No, 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 no. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic news pick number two. Hats off to the Washington Examiner. 
The city of Boston sent an email to 100 employees which exposed their COVID-19 vaccination status and positive COVID-19 test results in mid-January. The city's Human Resources Department said it intended to remind the employees to submit to mandatory shots, but forgot to make the message private. Unintentionally and accidentally, we messed up, the HR department wrote in a subsequent email to the workers. I say the HR department should be sued under the HIPAA laws. What? You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick pick number one. Hats off to the Daily Wire. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi distanced herself from progressive Democrats who continue to call for defunding the police during an interview Sunday. This is not the position of the Democratic Party, Pelosi said. Make no mistake, community safety is our responsibility. And I quote one of my colleagues from New York, Richie Torres, a brand new member of Congress, way on the left, saying that defund the police is dead. Oh my goodness! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair! It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. The saintly Archbishop Gaspard Mermelid of Geneva, Switzerland, who died in 1892, had the good and pious custom of paying a last visit to the Blessed Sacrament every evening. He would lock the doors to the cathedral for the night. Returning to the altar, he would make a deep and respectful genuflection, kiss the floor as a sign of reverence before the Blessed Sacrament, and then retire to his home. One evening, believing himself to be alone in the cathedral, he finished devotions as usual. When he got up from his knees, he was startled by a noise. Suddenly, the door of a confessional opened, and a very distinguished lady stepped out. "'What are you doing here at this hour, my dear lady?' asked the archbishop. "'I'm a Protestant,' she answered, "'and I've been present at the sermons you've given during Lent "'on the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. "'Your arguments have convinced me of the truth of this doctrine. "'Only one doubt remained, and that was, "'does he himself believe what he says? "'I wanted to see if, when you're alone, "'you'd conduct yourself before the Holy Eucharist "'as one who believes in it, "'and I had firmly resolved to become a convert "'if you practice what you preach. "'I've seen it for myself, "'so now I want to become a Catholic. "'This lady became one of the most zealous Catholics of Geneva. "'There are several wonderful lessons "'that can be learned from this story. 
We can easily find lessons on the worship of God, love and respect for the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist, setting a good example by practicing what we believe, and the importance of having zeal for our holy and ancient faith. I've always had a certain sort of holy envy for priests and bishops who have round-the-clock access to the Eucharist. Like most people, I can't get to the parish church during regular hours to pay visits to our Lord in the tabernacle as I'd like, but a priest can do so anytime he wants, and I know of many priests who make visits to the hidden Jesus often each day. Today, rather than give you one of the lessons you'd expect, let me tell you about one such priest I knew who has since gone on to his reward. The priest's name is Father Killian Mooney, and he was a member of the Missionary Servants of the Most Holy Trinity. Father Killian would begin each day visiting the Eucharist. As the sky began to turn pink with the first rays of the sun coming toward the horizon, Father would go into the sanctuary and pull his chair up close to the tabernacle to speak to his Master and Majesty. Then he'd return several times throughout the day. What benefits did Father Killian derive from his multiple visits every day? When he died, Father Killian was an octogenarian, but his bishop told me he got more work done each day than any ten priests half his age. It's almost as if God altered time for this very holy priest. But that isn't nearly all these visits to our Eucharistic Lord did for him. Father Killian was so much in love with the Holy Eucharist that, on multiple occasions, those of us attending Mass would watch in awe as he lapsed into holy ecstasy during the elevation of the host. His feet were firmly planted at the altar, but it was more than apparent to the rest of us that his soul was in heaven before the throne of our Creator and King. Father could read souls as well. Twice in the confessional I had forgotten a sin when making my confession. When I had indicated my confession was finished, Father Killian would ask, What about the sin of such and such? I replied, Yes, Father, and the sin of such and such. But how did you? He'd cut me off and say, Now tell God you're sorry, which was his way of telling me to make a good act of contrition and that how he knew wasn't any of my business. Father Killian could read souls just as Padre Pio and the Curé of ours could do. Father Killian tried to make every penitent understand that we're God's children in a real way. That's why he'd say, now tell God you're sorry, instead of telling penitents to make a good act of contrition. It was like telling a child to tell Daddy he was sorry. And when Father Killian gave absolution and made the sign of the cross, he'd finish by reaching over and giving a fatherly tap on the head to the penitent. He simply wanted penitents to know and understand that God loves us the way a father loves his children. It certainly worked for me. Father Killian's parish covered two and a half counties in one of the poorest regions of the country. One day each week, people would line up from the rectory door to the street and all the way around the corner to see Father Killian. All of them had problems. Some might not be able to pay a power bill. Others needed food. Still others might need medicine. 
I recall one man who had recently got a new job, but the battery on his car died before he got his first paycheck, so he wouldn't be able to get to work until he got a new battery. He went to Father Killian to ask for help. No matter the need these people had, Father Killian would pray with them and counsel them on how they got into their dire situation in the first place and how to avoid it in the future. Then he'd give them a voucher that could be used anywhere in the area, the grocery store, the electric company, the drug store, the hardware store, anywhere. All the people had to do was present the voucher and say, Father Killian sent me. Those vouchers would be honored immediately. It was estimated that Father's charity was at least $250,000 a year, but his was a small rural parish that could in no way support such a ministry. I'm told that when Father Killian died and the parish audit was done, no one was able to find the source of that money. There was no bank account, no records, no benefactor could be identified, and there was certainly no treasure chest or stuffed mattress. It was finally concluded, I'm told, that God simply made the money materialize when it was needed, much as he had done for St. John Bosco or when Jesus fed thousands with a few loaves and fishes. Father Killian was no doubt a living saint, and his saintly life was attributed to his deep love for the Eucharist and his equally tender devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Father Killian had a passion for souls, which was a natural extension for his love of our Lord and Our Lady. The good news is Father Killian proves to us that we can all achieve that level of holiness. He wasn't anything or anyone special, and he'd have been the very first person to make that point. All he did was believe, serve, and love. He believed everything the Holy Catholic Church teaches without question or reservation. He served God and the men God created for the love of God. And he loved our God, Our Lady, and everyone he met. Everyone can be like Father Killian if only we'll use the confessional as a means to root out the little things that keep us from perfect union with God. We may never be able to experience ecstasy before the Eucharist or make money materialize out of thin air, but those were just signs from God to draw attention to the holiness of a man who loved him as we should all love him. God telling us he wants the same level of love from us he received from Father Killian. Discover why thousands of readers worldwide turn to the Wanderer newspaper for weekly perspective and analysis of the news and events that increasingly threaten our values and our way of life. Hello, my name is Joe Matt, publisher of America's oldest national Catholic weekly newspaper, The Wanderer. If you take your Catholic faith seriously and you are concerned about the direction of our country, the ever-encroaching hand of big government, the assault of the culture on the traditional family, and the threat of progressive leaders in our churches who embrace much of the current leftist culture rather than opposing it, you will find a home in the pages of The Wanderer. If you are tired of being force-fed the agenda-driven false narratives of the day by the godless dominant media and the political elite who preside within our government, our schools, and yes, in our Catholic churches, it is time for you to take a look at The Wanderer. 
Every week, The Wander addresses these concerns, exposing the who, what, and the why with sound analysis and solutions to these problems that threaten the values we hold dear. Not only is The Wander a great source for the issues that affect our lives, but it is also a great tool to learn more about the treasures of our Catholic faith and how to defend it in this time of great moral decay. I'm so confident you will like The Wanderer. For you six-packers out there, I have a special offer. For $1, that's $1, we are offering new subscribers the opportunity to receive one month's worth of issues. That's four weekly issues. Take The Wanderer for a test drive. After one month, it is $9 a month. You can cancel anytime you want. I hope you will take advantage of this limited offer today. Text the word NEWS to 830-331-5729 and I will send you a link to this offer or look for the link in Joe's show notes below. The Wanderer. For 154 years, unabashedly pro-life, independent, and conservative in its politics and steadfast in its defense of Orthodox Catholicism. Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Augustine. He said, If you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A man, his face almost hidden behind the collar of an expensive overcoat, stood in the shadow of one of the steel girders of a bridge. He looked down into the water fifty feet below. He reached into his pocket for a last cigarette before he left to escape his problems. A homeless man saw him standing in the shadows and asked, Got a couple of bucks so I can get something to eat? The other smiled in the darkness. A couple of bucks? What difference could a couple of bucks make now? Sure, I've got a couple of bucks, buddy. I've got more than a couple of bucks. He took out his wallet. Here, take it all. He took out a dozen hundred-dollar bills from his wallet and thrust them into the homeless guy's dingy hand. What's the idea? asked the homeless guy. It's all right. I won't be needing it where I'm going. He glanced into the dark water below. The homeless man took the bills and held them uncertainly for a moment. Then he said, No, you don't, mister. I may be a bum, but I'm no coward, and I won't take money from one either. Take your filthy money with you into the river. He threw the bills over the rail, and they scattered as they drifted toward the dark water. So long, coward. The homeless man walked off. The rich man gasped. He suddenly wanted that homeless man to have the money he'd just thrown away. He wanted to give and couldn't. To give. That was it. He'd never tried that before. To give and be happy. He took one last look into the river and then turned to follow the homeless man. To commit suicide, an epidemic in this country today, is not only against God's law, but it's also the act of a coward. A person who wants to kill himself is afraid to bear the burdens in this life. 
He's selfish. He refuses to give and be generous, to give of himself, his resources, or anything else. By taking his life, his greatest problem then begins, his judgment. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It. 